Welcome to this edition of Penscast Postgame. This is Lucas Wester once again with you at Lucas Wester on Instagram and Twitter, and obviously the podcast at Pens underscore Cast on Instagram and Twitter. This is postgame after the April 6th game on Thursday night against the Minnesota Wild at PPG Paints Arena, where the Penguins exit victorious against the Minnesota Wild 4-1, to and they have been very up and down as of late, as we know. They've been basically win one, lose one, win one, lose one for a while here, but they can't for the rest of the way. If they want a chance to squeak into the playoffs there, they can't have that kind of ending. They're going to need to win out or damn near close to it. We're going to get into that in a little bit, but more than anything, I want to focus on these, uh, this game that happened. I'd also like to touch on the New Jersey Devils game that happened on Tuesday. I wasn't able to do a post game for that one, so I want to brush up on that one a little bit, give my opinions on that one, and then we will move on to this Minnesota game afterwards. So let's start really quick with New Jersey. I'm not going to take as long with it. In that game, even if you're not an avid hockey fan, you could have uh, surmised that the Penguins are a slow team. And they're an old team. If you knew nothing about the ages of these guys, you could have t- uh, been able to tell from that that they were a very old and slow team. And the New Jersey Devils, on the other hand, are young, fast, spry, full of piss and vinegar. And that's that's just what what happened in that game. And it showed all up and down the score sheet. Uh, the Devils won that game 5-1. to one. Starting in the first period... Noted Penguin killer, Dougie Hamilton, gets his 21st goal of the season, which I believe is the lead in, um, actually, no, I believe he's second in the league in defensive goals behind Eric Carlson. I think Carlson hasn't beat by a few, but Dougie Hamilton, since he's been in Carolina and then got signed by New Jersey, he has been a Penguin killer. I feel like he's always getting on the score sheet against us. And he starts things off in Newark, his 21st of the season by a, uh, it was a pass behind the net by Andre Pilat. And he just buries his, one of the best one-timer shots in the league, I think is Dougie Hamilton's. And he just buries it and gives the Devils a one nothing lead about nine minutes into the game. But six minutes later, Dawson Mercer gets his first of the game, which first of three, it's his 25th of the season, assisted by Nico Heeshier and Thomas Tatar. We go into the second period with a 2-0 advantage for New Jersey, and they double it. In the just three minutes into the second period, Timo Meyer buries a power play goal, his 38th of the year. He's been an unreal addition. I, I, his numbers uh, haven't been, I don't think, fantastic since he's joined, um, at least on pace to what he's, you know, what he did before he got traded. Uh, to my knowledge, I could be completely wrong on that, but I, I believe that's accurate. But nonetheless, he's a pending RFA this year. He's going to get a lot of money. I think he's going to be, if they're able to resign him uh, long-term to a good deal, I think he's going to be a good part of that core for a long time. I think he's the exact kind of player they needed. Whenever there are rumors of him being dealt at the deadline, I figured New, uh, New Jersey was going to be the team. He's a Swiss uh, player, so and there, there's a uh, plethora of Swiss guys in New Jersey, Nico Heeshier, uh, Jonas Siegenthaler as well. So he fits in there. He has some uh, compatriots, and he also fits that scheme perfectly because he was the missing puzzle piece. A tough forward, a power forward, big guy, 
he can really uh, get his body in there in front of the net and bury those second, third chances. And he does just that at the beginning of the second period. And then towards the end of the second period with 34 seconds left, Dawson Mercer gets his second of the game, 26th of the season, assisted by former Penguin John Marino and Ryan Graves. I've had a lot of things to say about that John Marino trade um, this past summer when it happened. I did not like the trade. Uh, I still am not a fan of it. I don't think Ty Smith has given an, was given an adequate chance excuse me, to get a, ch- uh, to get a spot in this lineup or even on the roster for that matter. He seems to be a non-option whenever there are defensive injuries. At this point, it's always been Ruedel, Friedman getting called up before Smith. But um, that's besides the point. Uh, yeah, Marino, has, uh, he's been, he missed some time with New Jersey. He's been injured, but he is having a much better season this year than he had last year in his second year with Pittsburgh. And I think the Penguins gave up on him too early. I think that trade's going to come back to bite them in the ass. Then, less than three minutes into the third period, Dawson Mercer gets his hat-trick goal, his 27th of the season, assisted by Nico Heeshear and Michael McLeod. McLeod, who earlier in the game got into a bit of a um, kind of wrestling match or something with Sidney Crosby. Uh, Crosby took exception to a hit that he laid on, I believe it was Brian Dumoulin. Which, uh, you know, Crosby shouldn't be the guy to uh, stick up for teammates. He shouldn't have to be the guy to, you know, get into fights and, you know, get into scraps like that. It wasn't a real fight, but, you know, nonetheless getting scrappy. He shouldn't have to be the guy. I've mentioned that numerous times, but it just shows the kind of leader and captain he is that he did that. That's besides the point. Dawson Mercer gets a hat-trick goal. And at that point, it was the third hat-trick allowed in the last five games for the Penguins. The Penguins allowed one to David Perron in Detroit in that 7-4 loss. They allowed one over the weekend to Boston's David Posternock. So back-to-back Davids getting hat-tricks in the 4-3 victory for Boston in PPG Paints Arena over Pittsburgh. And then this one, Dawson Mercer, his first career hat-trick, his uh, 27th of the season, like I said, gives the New Jersey Devils a 5-0 lead. And then just to spoil the shutout for Vitek Vanacek, Brian Russ gets his 20th of the year, assisted by P.O. Joseph and Jeff Petrie. And with that goal, the Penguins had six forwards enter the 20-goal club, which I believe at the time of the game, only the Buffalo Sabres had that amount of 20-goal scorers. I I know there's a handful of teams that also had uh, five, but I don't think... Any other team besides Buffalo and Pittsburgh had six 20-goal scorers. All of their top six forwards are 20-goal scorers. That goes to show you how bad the bottom six has been at scoring, where that the top six is having, uh, as a whole, fantastic season. But to no avail, the Penguins still are on the outside looking in, going into game 79. So my takeaways from that game were... They looked like a team that wasn't in comp, like it wasn't, didn't know that they were in competition to get a wild card. They looked like a team that was fully in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. They were slow. They looked like they didn't care. They looked like they didn't realize what was at stake with this game and just completely outclassed, outskated. The New Jersey Devils have a lot of young players who skated circles around the Penguins' older players that entire game and there was nothing to show for it on the penguin side it was a complete waste of a trip to newark 
it was um, not nothing positive came out of that. Other than I know the numbers, you know, five goals don't look fantastic, but I thought in that game Tristan Jari didn't have a ha- you know didn't have half bad a game. He made some really big saves. I think if it was Casey the Smith in net, I think it would have been more like a seven to one game. Um, I could be wrong. Casey's had some really good stretches this year, but I think Tristan Jari made a lot of saves uh, on opportune chances for the Devils. I think the five goals and whatever his save percentage ended up being are a bit of a um, a bit. They're misleading. I think. I think Tristan Jari had an all right game, and I'm not laying that loss at his feet. I think that was just the entire team in front of him that looked slow looked tired, looked dejected, looked like they didn't want to be there. And it showed on the score sheet. And had they won that game, as we sit tonight, they would be in the number one wild card spot. Instead, they're on the outside looking in one point back. But that's enough of that game. This isn't a Devils post-game recap. This is a wild post-game recap. And the Penguins looked like a completely different team today. Granted, they're playing the Minnesota Wild, who are a much slower team than the New Jersey Devils. I was talking with some of the guys at the game, and we are talking about how different the Penguins looked. But then um, Josh Yoey of The Athletic actually mentioned uh, a good point in that this Wild team is a lot different and a lot slower than that New Jersey team that they played on Tuesday. The Wild are not built to be a fast team, especially when they have a, their uh, star forward in Kirill Kaprizov out. I think the game would have been a lot different had he played. He was in the arena. He's still injured, I believe, um, whatever he's doing, uh, rehabbing. I'm not sure what his injury is, but I know he missed the game. Uh, but he was there traveling with the team nonetheless. But the, the Penguins looked good against a slower-paced team in the Minnesota Wild. First period, 15.02 in, um, should be noted, Penguins were facing Marc-Andre Fleury again at PPG Paints Arena. Obviously, that's always an emotional affair. There's a lot of Penguin fans who still have a large spot in their heart for Marc-Andre, and there was uh, some flurry chants towards the end of the game after the game was pretty much already over. The Penguin fans and Penguins faithful still wanted to let Fleury know that you know, he's still thought of very highly in the city, you know, regardless of where he is or where he's playing. Penguin fans always have a soft spot for Flurry. Speaking of a soft spot, he left one open, short side, as Latang, as Chris Latang was streaking down the right wing, and Latang saw a uh, small short side, you know, little area open up on Flurry, and a perfectly placed shot, his 11th of the year. Gives the Penguins a 1-0 lead that's assisted by Brian Dumoulin and Jake Gensel. 1-0 Penguins going into the second. In the second period, Ricard Raquel gets his 28th of the year on the power play, assisted by none other than Chris Letang and Jake Gensel. Letang and Gensel getting their second points of the game on that one. That was a power play one, as I said. And it was a beautifully placed shot. It was good puck movement. And like we talked about, the Wilder slower so on that penalty kill. They weren't as fast to get to Raquel and cover that uh, that lane. Flurry was kind of just left out to dry, and it was a perfect bomb from the left circle by Ricard Raquel, getting over Marc Andre's left shoulder, I believe, and just ringing around the net. It was a beautiful, beautiful shot, and Raquel 
could be inching to the 30 goal mark maybe it'd be nice to see if he can get that here in the last final games we're going to need players like him to perform in order to win out and sneak into the playoffs and that's all for the first two periods into the third former Minnesota Wild Jason Zucker gets revenge on his former team, his 27th of the season. A beautiful feed from Evgeny Malkin and Ricard Raquel's on the other assist on that one. He gets his second point of the game. And the Penguins, three minutes into the third, have a 3-0 lead. But don't say the word shutout because you might jinx Tristan Jari. And that's just what happens as Marcus Johansson on the power play kind of just keeps chopping at it in front of the net and eventually gets past Jari. Cuts the lead down to a 3-1 lead. Assists by Matt Zuccarello and Matt Boldy. Boldy is a great young player. He didn't show up a ton in this game, but he had a few opportunities, I think, where uh, he could he really had a chance to shine, but he wasn't able to bury anything. He's a guy to keep an eye out for moving forward. He just signed a long-term deal with Minnesota. Billy Guerin got him locked up for long-term. I really like that player. Keep an eye on him. And just as the Wild were getting a little bit of life, Jeff Carter came in and said, no, thank you. We're going to end this game now. He collects a great feed from Drew O'Connor and as he's streaking towards the net, and he's able to deflect it in his 13th of the season. Connor and Dumoulin on the assists. Dumoulin, his second assist in this game, and he, I haven't looked at uh, his game logs, but if you look over his past five, six, seven games, I'm sure it's probably his best offensive stretch in a while here. He's really, I, I made a joke about him being a playmaker on uh, one of the last pods, but he's actually been very good at getting the puck up, getting the puck in uh, you know, tight areas to allow players to create more offense down low. I've really liked that about him. I have been a big uh, Dumoulin you know, critic this year too on his defensive side. I think he's taken a large leap backwards on that side of the puck, but when the Penguins have needed him most at the end of this year, he's proven to be valuable in ways I don't think Penguins fans have realized he could be useful in. And he's been able to move the puck around and uh, you know start offense, and he gets his 24th assist there, second of the game. Drew O'Connor, I can't say enough good things about the kid. Only his sixth assist on the year, but it was a great read. It was a veteran read. He saw Carter streaking in and uh, placed it perfectly between some Minnesota players. And uh, makes it very easy on Carter to be able to deflect it in and give the Penguins that insurance marker. And that is all it would take as the Penguins win that one 4-1. to one. But the other teams that they're competing with in the Eastern Conference wildcard uh, positions also played tonight. And the Penguins got no help, none whatsoever, from outside teams. The Panthers played the Ottawa Senators tonight, and they pounced on them because a panther get it seven to two is the final from there montour barkov barkov reinhardt lusternan i've never known how to pronounce that i apologize nick cousins and gus forsling on the goals there for florida i believe alex line was the goaltender again and he's kind of putting together quietly a little Andrew Hammond type streak here where he's willing his team to the playoffs when he started the year basically as like a third string guy. And if they do make the playoffs, and especially if they get that first wildcard spot, a lot of it is due to the play of Alex Lyon. And that's a name that should be getting more attention around the league than it is. Also in the league, uh, Buffalo, who is a little far back in the race, but still 
mathematically is in it. They need the win out basically um, to have a chance at making it. They went back and forth. It was a uh, a shootout in every sense of the word, in a literal sense and a metaphorical sense between the Sabres and Red Wings at Little Caesars Arena in Detroit. And it went back and forth all game. And it ends with a 7-6 shootout victory for Buffalo. Got goals from Thompson, Yoki Haru, Cousins, Gergensons, Greenway, and Cousins. And then obviously they get that seventh goal in the shootout. So Buffalo makes up ground as well. They keep pace with the rest of the teams. On the Long Island side of things, the Islanders beat handily the Tampa Bay Lightning 6-1 in what was going to be New York's hardest game for the rest of the season. And uh, they win handily on that one. Granted, the Tampa Bay Lightning did start Brian Elliott, not Andre Vasilevsky. I have a feeling if Vasilevsky was playing, it would have been a different story. But you got goals from Pellick, Nelson, Palmieri, Polak, Holmstrom, and Horvat as Ilya Sorokin gets the victory for the Islanders. And that leaves us with the playoff positioning. Where are we at now? This was a day where the Penguins could have started I mean, sorry, could have ended first. They could have ended second. Instead, they win the game that they needed to win, and they still end the night in third place out of the uh, wild card race. Florida has 89 points in 79 games, three games remaining. The New York Islanders have 89 points in 79 games as well, also three games remaining. Penguins sit at 88 points in 79 games played, also three games remaining, just one point back of either teams. Florida holds the tiebreaker, which is regulation wins, so that is the reason why they are first and New York is second. And even if the Penguins were tied, if they had one more point and were tied at 89 points, they are third in that tiebreaker, so they would still be in third place. So an overtime loss wouldn't have done them any good against New Jersey, um, obviously. But we don't know if that point, at, by the end of it, if that would have made any uh, difference. But nonetheless, um, they the way they're playing, they didn't deserve a single point out of that. So, But that's where we are right now. Penguin sitting on the outside, looking in with just three games left in this regular season. Unfamiliar territory for the Pittsburgh Penguins and Penguin fans. Strength of schedule remaining. Obviously, it's important, but as a stat, it's kind of goofy to look at because there's only three games left, so we don't necessarily need to look at the stat, the strength of schedule. You can basically just look at the opponents, but I'll give it to you anyways. I'll give it, give it to give you all the numbers anyways. Florida has the sixth hardest remaining schedule in the NHL, or 27th easiest if you're looking at it that way, they face Carolina, Toronto, and Washington the rest of the way. Caveat, by the time they play Carolina, uh, they may have the number one seed clinched at that point. So they may be resting players. Toronto has clinched the second seed uh, in their division. So unless they're playing for better point better positioning, you know, in the rest of the playoffs after round one. I have a feeling that they're going to start resting some guys too, like Marner, Matthews, uh, Nylander, maybe even guys like that, maybe Tavares. So although on paper it looks like Carolina, Toronto, yeah, that those are tougher games, they might not end up being that tough. So, you know, we'll see about that. The New York Islanders sit at 31st hardest remaining schedule or second easiest. 
They play Montreal, Philadelphia, and Washington. They also play Washington like the Florida Panthers. While Washington is now mathematically eliminated, it's worth mentioning, they kind of have been playing better recently. Ever since the return of John Carlson, they've I, I liked what, what they've been doing a lot better. They haven't gotten all the results they've wanted. They, you know, like I said, are obviously out of the playoffs, so they're not playing for a ton here. And they're, I think, also out of the Bedard sweepstakes because I think you need to be bottom 10 or 11 to have a shot at it. Um, and they're not going to be able to get that low. So they're kind of just in this middle territory where I think they're still going to be playing with pride and still want to win some games. So there's something there. Montreal has a ton of injuries right now. They are a very banged-up team. And even fully healthy, I don't think they're a playoff team. So it's going to be hard for them to beat the Islanders, in my opinion. And Philadelphia is just a tire fire. They should win that game. Penguins have the 32nd hardest or the easiest in all of the NHL remaining schedule on paper. They play Detroit away. Then they play Chicago at home. And then they end the season at Columbus. The latter two teams are very, very much in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. Those are two teams that I believe are in the bottom. There's like three or four teams at the very bottom of the standings that are all kind of bundled up together within like three or four points, you know, in like the low to mid 50s vying for Connor Bedard. And those are two of them. Those are two games that you cannot lose under any circumstances. If you lose, Everyone's getting fired, I think. Probably not Sullivan, but like burn the house down if you lose those games. I think it will be easier for the Penguins and Penguins Brass to swallow missing the playoffs if it's because of the Detroit game. If it's because of Chicago or Columbus, heads will roll. I genuinely believe that. Looking down at the Sabres, they have the 11th hardest schedule or the 22nd easiest They play Carolina, New Jersey, the Rangers, Columbus, and Ottawa. We talked about Carolina up at the top whenever we were discussing Florida. Again, they may start sitting guys, or uh, they might still be in the race for first seed. It all depends on what happens with some of the next games going on with them. And New Jersey, New Jersey's still in it. Um, And yeah, like I'm saying, like I just talked about, New Jersey is also, I think, going to try to get that first seed, so I don't see them sitting any guys immediately but towards the rest of the year maybe Um, it all depends on how things fall over the next couple days the rangers are not going to be an easy task i think they're pretty much guaranteed the third seed no matter what um so maybe they start resting guys too like patty kane some of the older guys and then like the penguins they have columbus once that's a team they have to win against and then they have Ottawa, who for a long time was in the wild card hunt. They could have been uh, right alongside Buffalo as they were for a while in the season where they both were kind of like the young teams like on the rise, close to a playoff spot, maybe they'll compete. But instead, they fell off as Buffalo rose. So that's the team that I think still can give uh, the Sabres some fits. So we'll have to see about that. Obviously, two more games left for the Sabres than the other three teams. Now, let's go over some what-if scenarios. If the Pittsburgh Penguins go 3-0-0 the rest of the way, if they win the remaining three games, which they haven't won consecutive games in, I think, like a month almost. They've been win-loss, 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 win-loss for like eight games. 
If they happen to go 3-0, which praise be, they will end with 94 points. And remember, they can't tie with Florida or New York. They have to do better than them because of the tiebreaker. In order for that to happen, they need, in that scenario, the Panthers and Islanders and Sabres, in that matter, to finish with less points than them. So we're going to say 93. For the Panthers to get one less point than the Penguins to get the 93 points, they need to go 2-1-0 and the rest of the way. Same with the Islanders. Panthers and Islanders both need to go 2-1-0 and if the Penguins win out. For the Penguins to make the playoffs and make the one seed as well, it's worth mentioning. Uh, the Buffalo Sabres would need to go 5-0-0. They would need to win out the rest of their regular season games to get to not, just to 93 points. So if the Penguins go undefeated and the Sabres go undefeated, the Penguins... Are, are, are one point ahead of them. So if the Penguins, let's go even a little more niche. Say they only go 2-0-1. Say they take Detroit to overtime, lose, beat Columbus, beat Chicago. They get 93 points. In order for the Panthers and Islanders to finish below them, they need the both them both to go 1-1-1. One, one, and one. That adds three more points for them, and they all finish with 92. If Buffalo wants to get to 92, they need to go 4 0 and 1. So if the Penguins go 2 and 1, so four points, two regulation wins or two wins, whatever, doesn't matter because they're not close in regulation wins at all. So just two wins, one regulation loss. They end with 92 points. This is where it gets hard. If they want any chance of being in front of Florida and or the Islanders, those teams need to go 1-2-0 and or worse. That's just two points. That leaves them with 91 points. Buffalo, if they wanted to get to 91, would need to go 4-1-0 and as well. So, the way I see it, Penguins need to, at the very least get five of six points in these next three games. I don't think two and one's enough because you can't count on the Pan- on the Panthers or Islanders going one, two, and oh. I think you have to go under the assumption that at least one of them is going to win two or three of their games and you need to hope that the other one goes something like one and two or one, one, and one or something like that. I don't think there's any scenario where both of them go 1-2-0 and the rest of the way. I don't think so. And that's what they need to happen to make the playoffs. Even tougher situations, say the Penguins go 1-1-1 the rest of the way, get three more points, end with 91 points. They would need the Panthers and or the Islanders to, well, sorry, and to go 0-2-1, that gets them one more point. One overtime loss, two regulation losses for both of them, gets them to 90 points. Buffalo, to get to 90 points, needs to go 3-1-1. So like I said, the way I see it, Penguins need to get five of six points. If they can get all six, perfect. I really like their odds at that point. And this isn't to get wild card one even necessarily. This is just to sneak in, just to get there. It's kind of wild that we're this late into the season and there's like basically zero disparity between wild card one and on the outside looking in. This is one of the most competitive races we've seen in a while, whereas last year the top eight in the East was basically all known by the turn of the calendar, by New Year's. 
But this is uncharted territory for Penguins fans. It's anxiety time, obviously. Uh, Everyone from the ownership to the players to the people that work at the arena to the fans that fill the seats and fill Twitter mentions, everyone is watching anxiously. Everyone wants this team to win. And it's so up in the air with so little time left. It's uncomfortable. If you just sit with that thought for a little bit, it's a very uncomfortable feeling for Penguins fans. But this is where we're at now. And there's more to be said about this and as to why we're here. I'm not going to say it all now because this is just my post game. But at some point, probably next episode, I want to really have a deep dive and in, in evaluate the tenure of Ron Hextall and what roster construction and roster moves he's made to put us in the situation. Because I think there could have been moves or, or non-moves from the offseason, this past offseason, to the trade deadline that would have put this team over the edge and long secured them a playoff spot. But that's for another day. That's all for me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Penn's Cast Post Game Recap. Like I said, Penguins 4, Minnesota 1, huge win, but the rest of the league didn't help us out very much. But we look forward to next game. I am not sure if I'll be, be doing a post game for it, probably given the implications of the that game that is Saturday's afternoon contest in Detroit between the Penguins and the Red Wings. We'll have to see about that. But this is it for me. I'm calling it a day tonight. It's already 1 a.m. Burning the midnight oil here. And uh, in Pittsburgh. But thank you for listening. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at pens underscore cast. Follow me, my personal account on Twitter and Instagram at Lucas Wester. You can find us on any podcasting platform that is popular. I don't have all the little ones, um, but Spotify, Apple, iHeart, Amazon, Google. Any, you know, billion dollar company will, uh, they'll get my podcast. Trust me. Um, but yeah, thank you again so much for listening. Hope you made it all the way through. Pens win three, sorry, four, one. Jesus, it's a long night. And that is it for me. So have a good night. Hope this treats you well on your morning commute Friday or whenever you listen to it. And we'll see you next time.